First of all, uh, reading uh, John chapter 11, we'll be reading portions of it this morning. Not the whole chapter, but it's a wonderful story. And so many different things we could pull out of that story. I want you to go home and read it. There's some questions in your guide you can read and think about it for yourself. And I'm going to share with you some things this morning that I wrote in my journal this week as I read John 11. But first of all, I look around the room, and every week I've been seeing new people. We're so happy you're here. Amen. And right after this service, we're having a luncheon, Discover Middletown. I'd love for you to be my guest. You don't have to sign up. We prepared for about 30 people, and we're waiting for you to come. You just go downstairs, and it's downstairs and to the left, and we'll be waiting for you with a good meal this morning. I think we're having lasagna, so it should be really good. The family's cooking. They always do a, they always do a really, really great, great job. Okay, John chapter 11. We've been walking through John all summer, and I want to begin by talking about our families, our families, and where we grew up. We grew up in all different kinds of families. But it doesn't matter what kind of family you grew up in. When you were growing up in your family, your parent handed you some baggage to carry. Some of it was good, some of it was not so good. I don't believe that when parents bring children into the world, they intend to cause harm to their kids. So regardless of how we were raised and how our parents taught us or what they taught us or what kind of baggage we're carrying, I do believe that everybody in this room, most everybody in this room had somebody, had a parent, a mom and a dad who loved them, cared about them. But our parents, our moms and our dads were wounded people too. They were real people. And there are things that are just passed down from one generation to the next from our parents that we have to live with. And some of the pain that we have in life is that we don't recognize it, we don't know it, we pass it on. And, you know, hurt people hurt people. And what I want to talk about is that some of us in this room grew up in families where we left and the baggage was this, this real powerful feeling of shame about ourselves. About what we think, what we believe, uh, about who we are as people. And sometimes it's because we grew up in a family. We grew up in a family maybe where there was alcoholism in the family. It could be that we grew up in a family where the family had all these problems, but instead of addressing the bigger problems of the family, they, they chose to focus on you and to put all that weight on you. The result is that there are a lot of people who grew up in the baggage that they're carrying is shame. And shame is different from guilt. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Two different, two different things. The other is that some people grew up in families, and maybe it wasn't a shame, but it was a, it was a sense of unworthiness. You grew up in a, a, a family situation where, you know, you had to earn the affection and love of your parents. What you did was never good enough. It never quite measured up. You know, you got a, you got a, you got a B, why didn't you get an A? You got four A's and you got one C. Why'd you get the C? 
and your mom, your dad withheld affection from you and you felt like you had to earn it. Now here is what's really interesting about all this is that sometimes when we grew up in families that shamed us, where we walked away with shame and blame, and we grew up in families where we felt like we had to earn this love, and then we, walk, we spend the rest of our life kind of walking around with this sort of dark cloud of unworthiness and shame in our life. When we grew up in those kinds of families, oftentimes those families find themselves in churches much like their families. You, you see where I'm going with this? We, we end up finding ourselves paired, our family is paired with a church that does the same thing. That shames us. Not you did a bad thing, but you are bad. The way you think, the way you feel, who you are, there's something wrong with you. And then in some, in some churches, we feel like we never quite measure up. We never quite earn what we need. And that God's love is something that's earned. This combination of when religion reinforces a negative home environment creates a toxic and lethal mix that impacts people's lives for the rest of their life. And then sometimes we end up making really unhealthy choices because of it. We find ourselves slipping into addictions. We never feel good about ourselves. And then we walk around most of our life feeling kind of distant from God because we, we can't get too close to God because we identify God with that bad church or that toxic family. It's really toxic. So we walk around and we're hiding stuff. We're hiding, we're hiding things. And we never really feel, and, and, and this is what's amazing about it. You can sit in this church every Sunday and hear David Emery talk about the grace of God who loves you for who you are and will never judge you. But because you grew up in that home and you grew up in that church and it came together, you still can't let it go. You still can't believe it. Am I connected with anybody this morning? Maybe. I think I am. Well, this story, I think, speaks to that. Let me tell you what the story is about. The story is about uh, a man by the name of Lazarus who dies, and Jesus raises him from the dead, and it's about his two sisters. And I want to read some parts of it, make some comments, and I'm going to come back to what I just shared with you. It says in John chapter 11, there was a man named Lazarus, and Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later would pour expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wipe them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Other translations say, Lord, the person you love, the person you love, the friend you love is sick. Now, I think we can all connect with this point in the story. Because we all have friends who need our prayers. We all have situations in our life where we want to bring to the attention of God. It could be you personally. There's something in my life right now that's hurting. Something in my life that's sick. Something in my life that doesn't feel good. Something in my life I need to overcome. Or there's something in another person's life. There's someone I love, Lord, who's sick that's not doing well. I'm, I'm bringing to your attention my friend who's who's struggling in their marriage. I'm bringing my friend to your attention who's struggling with substance abuse. I'm bringing 
to your attention, Lord, someone who has cancer, who's dying. See, we can all relate to that. And what it says in the story is that they sent a letter to Jesus to tell him that something was wrong with their brother. Their brother. And, and I would ask you this question. You sit down after church and write your letter to him. Who is in the letter? Or what, is it, what are you trying to bring to his attention? It says, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, this happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed there where he was for the next two days. I love that because it's, doesn't it feel that way sometimes? You send that letter, you send up that prayer, where are you? Why haven't you responded? What's the delay? And I love the honesty of the Bible. The Bible, the people and the Bible and Jesus himself presents a very human picture of what life is like. Prayers are not always answered the way we want them answered. God doesn't always respond in the way that we want God to respond. The Bible really deals with the whole question of human suffering. And I want to say this to you. This is not meant to be applied to every situation, but what this situation is doing is showing where is God in our life in the midst of suffering, not answering the question why. So it goes on, the disciples chat back and forth, and then they find out that Jesus has waited too late. Lazarus is dead. We pick up the story at verse 17, and it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Interesting, doesn't say why. But sometimes we're, we can be so overwhelmed with grief and sadness, we can't even get ourselves out of the bed to meet with him. I don't want to meet with him. I don't want to talk with him. I can't get myself back to church. I just can't even get up. But Martha did. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, how do you think she said that? Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Or did she say, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Depends on who you are. You can read it either way. But she says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise again when everything else, when everyone rises at the last day. She's thinking at the end of all time, he'll get up. But no, Jesus is, is talking about their life right now and their circumstance right now. He says to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she makes her confession of faith. Yes, Lord. I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world. Now fast forward a bit, and it says in verse 34 that Jesus asked the question, so where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come here and see. And then Jesus, Jesus wept. He cried over the death of his friend. And the people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. 
But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus, still angry as he arrived at the tomb, angry about the loss of his friend and about death and suffering. When he arrived at the cave, a stone was rolled across the entrance. And then Jesus looks at them and says, roll away the stone. And I love Martha's response. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Now, now, you need to understand this, that in Jewish culture, they believed that a person's soul or spirit would hang around the grave or around the body for three days. So when you died, you were dead. But after the third day, the soul left and you were deader than dead. There was, I mean, this guy was beyond hope. In fact, the King James Version probably has the preferable translation. Lord, he's been dead for four days. He stinketh. And then Jesus responded, I did not tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in head cloth. Then Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Now, as I read this story this week, this is the word that came to me and the word I share with you. This is what I heard him say to David Emery. David, just remove the stone that stands between you and him and let him in. Roll away the stone and let him see what's inside of you. Let him see your secrets. Let him see your heart. Let him see the things that bring you shame. Let him see what you're afraid of. Let him see the real you. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to worry about how bad it is. You don't have to worry about how stinky it is. Just roll away the stone and let him speak to you in your darkness. You say, well, well, David, if he knew who I really was, he wouldn't talk to me. If he knew where I'd been, he would turn away. If he could see the doubts I'm carrying in my heart, he wouldn't love me. You see, a lot of people, there's so many people They think that they can't let him see who they are, and so they hide themselves. They hide behind some sort of stone. There there is this, this blockage, this obstacle that stands between them and God because they're afraid if they let God see who they really are. Well, he says, roll away the stone, let me see. Because the truth is that whatever is decaying and dying and stinking in your life can't offend him. So many people, like I said earlier, we grew up with that shame and that fear of being judged and condemned for who we were. Combined 
with religion, it becomes a toxic, lethal force that separates us from God. And the reality is that the way that you grew up and the way that you were taught about God, it may not be that that is God at all. And so let me, let me this morning do a favor for you and let me just shove aside all that shame. Let me just shove aside all that bad religion. Let me just shove aside all that toxic stuff and let me give you the antidote. The antidote for toxic shame and fear is grace, not judgment. You see, there is nothing in your life that will cause him to turn away. There is nothing in your life that will cause him to walk away. There's nothing that's happened to you that scares him or frightens him because he came to this earth for you because he loves you. He became a human being who walked the dusty streets of Palestine, a real life human being that touched people and met people where they were. You don't have to hide from him. You can open up your life to his healing. And that toxic shame and fear that you feel that tamps down your life, you can let go of it and you can be free of it. You don't have to live under that dark cloud anymore. Because whenever Jesus shows up, He brings life. He gives sight to the blind. He gives legs to the lame. He gives hearing to the deaf. He unstops the tongue. He removes the chains. And whatever is dead and dying in your life is his opportunity, his opportunity to show his goodness and his glory. The place in your life that feels the most hurt is where he has the most opportunity to do his best work. But here's here's the truth. The truth the, the truth is that you have to be careful. Because whenever dead people start walking out of graves, you know what happens? Opposition shows up. You can count on evil is real. And evil is taking people out every day. And you can be sure that as soon as you walk out of that grave that you're in and out of the darkness, there are going to be a bunch of people that want to push you right back in. So you make a decision. You go through the 12-step program and you get sober. I guarantee as soon as you're 60 days sober, you know what's going to happen? Your old drinking friends are going to come and try to take you back where they were and where they are. Or you start feeling joy in your life, you start feeling happiness in your life, you start shedding the shame, your family that's still trapped in that system is going to want to pull you right back into it. It takes real courage to follow him and to feel that love. So, so, so here's the thing. Now this is my favorite part of the story. So you remember the letter you're going to write? Remember the letter you're going to write? So when they write the letter, write to Jesus. Hey Jesus, Lazarus is sick. How do they get his attention? Did they say, Lazarus, your friend, um, the one who gave the, the large donation to the church for the building fund, he's sick. Did they say, Lazarus, you know, the one who was um, 
so faithful in his religious observance who never missed synagogue is sick. No. Lazarus, the one who never had a doubt, uh, Lazarus, the one who had the strong beliefs, didn't say that either. Lazarus, the one who was faithful to his spouse for 40 years, no, didn't say that. Lazarus, the one who was very charitable, it doesn't list his achievements. It just says, Lazarus, the one you loved is sick. My point is that sick, toxic religion is the kind of religion that says in order to get God's attention, you have to parade before him your achievements and your merits to earn it. But that's not what they do. They parade before Jesus his love. It's his love that motivates him to move towards you, not your merits, not your achievements. In the same way, the things that are hurting and hurtful don't push him away because his love is greater than any pain and greater than anything in your life, and nothing can turn him away. And just as he looked in that grave and brought out Lazarus, he wants you to know that what you're going through in this life may kill you, but it doesn't have to kill you. It doesn't have to kill your spirit. He does not show his love for us by removing suffering from us, but instead he does something better for us. He gives us himself. He doesn't prove his love for us by removing suffering from us. He proves his love for us by giving himself to us. And instead of answering the questions, why do some people suffer? Why do some people get sick? He does something better. He doesn't answer our questions. He gives us his presence. And we see this God in Jesus who weeps at the friend for the friend who's died. He sees your family circumstance. He sees your situation. And he is moved within the core of his being. So roll away the stone. Let him see what's inside. And hear him call your name. And walk in to the light. And start shedding all that bad religion. Just take it off. Take off the old life. And begin your new life in him. And you know what? That's our mission as a church. Let me just say that. That's why we're here. Because as a church, we're called to help people move those stones. Called to help them hear his voice. And when some people walk out, they're so weak and so bound up in what has been trapped trapping them for years that we have to slowly get our hands dirty and take off those dead decaying bandages off of them so that that butterfly can fly 